That's a great song. Our scripture reading today will be taken from Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, verses one and two. When Sambalat heard that he was, we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed, ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Before we hear from Nehemiah, just a very important reminder that we as a congregation are in a process of spiritual discernment. And the way we're doing that is that our shepherds are asking us to participate in something that is extremely vital to the life and the health and the future of this congregation. We talk a lot about making disciples, about being disciples. And so our shepherds want to affirm and validate those among us who are disciple makers. And so the yellow form that is back in the lobby is an opportunity for every one of us to think about who is ministering to us, who is discipling us, who is moving us closer to Jesus, and to write those names on this paper. And who do we see doing that among the congregation for other people? So write those names on that yellow piece of paper, and then from those names, maybe there are some men that are listed there that reflect the characters and characteristics written in scripture about men to serve as shepherds of the Lord's church. And maybe they are men or a man that you would like to suggest to serve as a shepherd to join our eldership. And that's what the green form is for, is to take a name or two from that list, some men that you think reflect the character that we read about in the scriptures that are on that form straight from the Bible, and that you would like to suggest them to serve as a shepherd with our elders here at the Edmund Church of Christ, maybe now or even in the future. So please participate in that, pray over this process. This is something that is an opportunity for all of us. It's not just, well, somebody else will take care of that, or that's not really my thing, or I don't really have a say in that. We wanna hear from everyone. And so please take the time to do that and certainly be praying about that. The deadline is next Sunday, October 7th, to submit all of, those, uh, all of those forms. If you have a Bible, you might look at Nehemiah chapter 4. That'll be our text today, Nehemiah chapter 4 in the Old Testament. You know, there are many in our nation that would want you to believe that God is dead. This is a famous magazine cover from 1966. It's been over 50 years since that was printed, and I would suggest to you that there are many in our world, there are many in our nation who are still asking the same question and still making the same assumption. And the assumption is this, there is no God. And that the church is on the decline, Christianity is on a downward spiral, and so you just better get off that train right now because it's going nowhere. Here's another magazine cover that was actually published less than a decade ago. The decline and fall of Christian America, or of Christianity in America. Incidentally, it wasn't long after this was printed 
that the print version of this magazine actually had declined so much that it went out of print until a recent attempt to renew that. But again, the question is the same, the assumption is the same, and that is that Christianity is dying, that God is no longer a factor in our nation. And that's what our culture would have us believe, that those of us in the church are not on a victory march, that we are in a funeral procession, that Christianity is losing influence in our nation, in our world, and that it is dying a slow death. And we got to be honest, the view from within is challenging sometimes, isn't it? Because we look out at the world, and what do we see? We see a world, we see a nation that is messed up. We see so much hostility, so much division, so much anger, racism, injustice, everywhere we look. I mean, just if you were following the news this past week, very symbolic of the underlying tension in our country. So much immorality, so much injustice, so much division. The evil one seems to be getting the upper hand, doesn't he? We're all victims and probably to some extent contributors to the downfall of Christianity. Make no mistake about it, the redemptive work of God in our world is being threatened. There's so much indifference to the word of God. There's so much rebellion against the will of God. And there's so much hostility to the work of God in our world. But why are we surprised? God's work has always been under attack. The church has always faced opposition. And so we are left with a choice. What do we do? What do we do? So often we accuse or we retreat. We indict the world around us and we insulate ourselves from it. Basically, we turn inward. And the world assumes when it sees us turning inward that there's validation. The church is a non-factor in our world. It's just a dying social club full of inferior thinkers and ingenuous frauds. Well, in our text, we see a different story. We see Nehemiah who was called to do the work of God and he had to do the work of God in a world that was against him, in a culture that opposed him. Nehemiah was commissioned by God to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, but it wasn't just a construction site. It wasn't just a work project. It was a restoration project. He wasn't just building walls. He was rebuilding and restoring the identity, the heart, the purpose of God's people. So Nehemiah gets the green light to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around the city. You think, well, that should be easy, right? After all, he's doing the work of God for the people of God and for the glory of God. But just because you're doing the work of God doesn't mean it's always easy work. In fact, sometimes because you're doing the work of God, it makes it more difficult. So chapter 4, verse 1. Let's pick up the story. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, 
He became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building? Ha, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And you can almost hear the laughter as they slap each other on the back and ridicule and mock God's people for trying to do something they feel like is a waste of time. Why are you doing that? Your efforts are useless. I mean, a little animal could run over your walls and knock them down. A culture that mocks the work of God. A world that ridicules what God is doing in the world. Sounds familiar. And for Nehemiah, especially for his adversaries, when ridicule didn't work, they turn up the heat a little bit. In verse 8, we read that they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. And so the adversaries of Nehemiah, of God's people, join together. And Nehemiah is literally surrounded by enemies on every side. The Ashdodites from the west, they join forces with Sambalot of Samaria on the north. Tobiah from the east with the Ammonites and the Arabs from the south. And together they say, let's snuff this out. Let's take care of this. Let's finish the job. You know, we just sang a few moments ago, surround us, Lord. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Nehemiah is in Jerusalem and he looks around him and maybe he doesn't see the Lord. What does he see? He sees opposition. He sees persecution. He, see, he sees ridicule and even threats to his life. And we struggle with that theology. We struggle to get our minds around that truth. Because if you're doing God's work, shouldn't it be easy? If you're doing the work of the Lord, why would God allow opposition to his work? It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't work well for us trying to do the work of God. If God calls us to do something, whether it's building a wall around Jerusalem or making disciples, shouldn't it be easier? <laughs> shouldn't the path God calls us on be smoother? We struggle with that. So for Nehemiah, things go from bad to worse. As he is trying to assess the threat on the outside, he turns inside and guess what they're doing? They're afraid. They're fussing and fighting. Back in the text, verse 12, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. We're getting tired. We're exhausted and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, Nehemiah, by the way, in case you didn't notice, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and they will kill and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over. You think they were trying to make the point clear? 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. 
Boy, fear is like a runaway train in our minds, isn't it? When we hear something, when we see something, when we experience something that causes fear in us, boy, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take much for our minds to go down a negative track and pretty quickly we end up cornered by our fears. We're discouraged, we're overwhelmed, and we begin to make decisions from that place, a place of fear and insecurity. And that's when we make some really bad choices. And so what do we do in those moments? The classic response, you've heard it before, you fight or you flee, right? Fight or flight, and they've added freeze. And so often that's what we do as Christians. When we feel cornered by the culture around us, when we feel the opposition pressing in on us, we either fight back or we run and escape or we just freeze. We don't know what to do. Notice what Nehemiah does. When others felt the opposition, Nehemiah saw an opportunity. When others could only see the threat, Nehemiah said, no, this is a chance for God to be known. This is a chance for God to be glorified. This is a chance for our world to see what God is doing in and through us. And so what's the first thing Nehemiah does? What he always does. He goes to God. Back in the text, verse 4, hear us, our God, for we are despised Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. You see, they put their hearts in it. Were they afraid? Absolutely. Was there opposition? Yes. But they were reminded that it doesn't matter who is fighting against you as long as God is fighting for you. And that's what Nehemiah tells them. But I want you to notice something. Something that you might miss just in a casual reading of this text. Something you might just overlook. I want you to notice their response. It's not just that they go to God in prayer they sit back and pray, God, do something. God, you see this, this mess here. You see the, the shape of our nation. You see the culture. You see the opposition that we're facing. Please do something. We're waiting. No. You see, they pray. As someone says, they pray as though it all depended on God, but they work like it all depended on them. Back in the text, Verse 13, Nehemiah says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah gathers the troops. Wait a second, these aren't troops. These are construction workers. Well, now they're troops. He gathers the troops. And he says, the world around you is saying this can't be done. 
Your adversaries are doubting that God is with you. They're making fun of you. They're saying you're wasting your time. In fact, they want to destroy you. Now is not the time to freeze. Now is not the time to run. And it's not the time to fight against them. It's the time to fight for what is good and right. Fight for your families. It becomes very personal to them. This isn't just about rebuilding a wall. This is about restoring God's people. This is about building a spiritual legacy, about protecting our families from the evils of the world. This is about bringing a part of heaven to earth. And Nehemiah says, we can do it. We can do it because God is on our side. Our God is the God of the impossible. God loves for the odds to be stacked against him. You see, our God is the God who defeats giants with slingshots, who plows through the depths of an ocean to deliver his people. Our God is the God who defeats over a thousand, a hundred thousand warriors with 300 men. Our God is the God who crumbles the walls around Jericho with the sound of trumpets not the swords of soldiers. It's the God who feeds thousands with a sack lunch. Our God is the God who breathed life into the crucified Christ and defeated the most threatening enemy of them all, death. That's our God. And with God, nothing is impossible. You see, only God can breathe life into burned stones. Do you remember what the opposition said? Do they think those dead, burned stones, that pile of rubble, do they think there can be any life in that? Yes, because God is the God who breathes life into burned stones. So let's get to work, Nehemiah says. Let's do what God has called us to do. And so here we are today, in our day, in our time, and we look around at the landscape of Christianity and we see a lot of burned stones, don't we? The charred relics of an outdated religion, our culture says. Churches closing their doors. Christians who look no different than people who aren't Christians. People of faith not engaging the world, but just blending into the world. Christianity being threatened by a hostile culture who claims either explicitly or implicitly that we are wasting our time because God is dead. There are a lot of burned stones. And while all that's going on around us, what are we doing? We're fussing and fighting with each other. We struggle to find common ground. We struggle to respect each other, to rally around a shared mission of making disciples and a common purpose of glorifying God. External opposition, internal conflict. 
It is time for God's people to stand and to stand together. It's not time for us to attack our world or retreat from it, but to engage it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard a preacher tell a story about a trip he took. He and his wife went to a resort in Hawaii and they booked a nice suite in this resort and they got there and they opened the door and they're so disappointed. They look around, this is tiny. It's so basic, it's tiny. This isn't what we expected. And he's telling his friend about it. He says, you know, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't what I expected. It should be much bigger, much nicer. And the guy goes, wait a second, you're missing it. People don't go to Hawaii to stay inside. <laughs> That's not why you go there. I think sometimes we think we're a part of the church so we can stay inside. That's not what, what our purpose is. That's not why we're here. It's to go out into the world, to engage the world. We are the called out. Just as Nehemiah was called to do a great task, we are called by God to do something important in our day, something significant, something meaningful. And our response should be the same as Nehemiah's response, and that is to lean into God and to labor for God. To lean on God, look to him, pray to him, rely on him, look for his strength, and to get to work to work for God, to use what he's given us. Will there be opposition? Are the odds stacked against us? Are these challenging times? Are we living in a climate that is combative toward Christianity? Absolutely. To say anything less is to be uninformed. But we still serve the God of Nehemiah. We still serve the God who overcomes all odds to accomplish his good will in this world. The same God who doesn't always make the path easy, but always equips us for the path of discipleship. The same God who breathes life into burned stones. During World War II, the town of Bristol, England was bombarded, almost destroyed. Not long after that, the U.S. sent over ships with lots of supplies and, and aid. The problem was, at least one of the problems, was there was so much rubble. There was so much rock and brick and just stuff everywhere. They couldn't even clear the roads. They couldn't, there was no place to put all of that rubble so that relief efforts and people could travel up and down the streets. And someone had the great idea. When the ships come with all the relief aid, we'll unload the ships and then we'll put all of those bricks and stone and rocks, all of that rubble back on the ships and send it back as a ballast to provide stability for those empty vessels as they travel across the open waters. That's a great idea. And so that's what they did. So they get all of those bricks and rocks, all of that rubble back to the U.S., and now what? Someone had the great idea. Let's use them. Let's build something. And so in New York City, there is something called the Bristol Basin. 
the famous East River Drive. They used the rocks, the stones, the bricks, the rubble from Bristol that were destroyed in the battle, in the war, and they rebuilt something. They built something that gave life to a city. What a story of redemption. Breathing life into the burned stones. That story captures us probably for many reasons, but one reason it should capture us is because it is our story. (laughs) That's exactly what's happened to us. Our lives have been damaged In many ways, our lives are simply a pile of rubble. I mean, let's just be honest with each other. There's so much selfishness, so much pride, so much sin, so much struggle. And yet, our God can breathe life into death. Our God can use the rubble of our lives to build something meaningful, to do something powerful. And so Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, don't miss that. You, we, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, that's what God does. God breathes life into burned stones. And where there is death, he brings hope and renewal and redemption and life. That's your story. That's my story. So why would we sit back? Why would we doubt? Why would we fuss and fight? Why would we retreat? Why would we not engage? And get busy doing the work of God in our day, in our time. Because whoever is fighting against us, don't ever forget, God is fighting for us and with us. Be blessed and be a blessing. Today, if we can encourage you and pray for you. We have a couple of shepherds and their wives that will be in the parlor right behind me, a little room back there. Feel free to leave out of one of these doors and make your way there. They'd be happy to receive you and pray for you. Or we would do that right in here. You can come down front and we'll pray for you. We'll encourage you. Maybe today you are ready to give your life to Christ, to be baptized into Christ and begin a life that lives with purpose and meaning, not found in what the world says, what our culture says, but who you are in Christ, a precious child of God. Maybe today's the day for you. If we can help you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.